0: Two thousand years ago, eleven men were walking a road together, and you might ask the question, why? It's because one of the last things Jesus told them before he ascended into heaven was, Meet me on the mountain. And then suddenly Jesus vanished, so off they went, heading to that mountain, and when they got there, boom, there he was. And scripture says that when they saw him, they fell down and they worshiped him, and when Jesus saw them, he said something to them that would absolutely change their lives and the lives of the Christian church forever. He said to them what has come down to us uh, known as maybe the Magna Carta of the Christian church. And for 2,000 plus years, Christians uh, have memorized and pondered and applied and obeyed and discussed uh, these last words, these famous last words of Jesus. Again, you might ask why? Well, it's because what Jesus said to his disciples that day was perhaps the most important thing that he ever said to them. The story is told in our text for today, Matthew 28, should be very familiar to it, It reads as follows. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, I'm going to make a big assumption. That's always a dangerous thing to do. But I'm going to assume that the words of the text that I just read to you are very familiar to you. You probably know those words as the Great Commission. And justly so, because those words that Jesus spoke to his disciples some 2,000 years ago has really started a movement that has been continuing for a long, long time. Now, these words are very important to us for at least three different reasons. One of these is, at least according to Matthew's Gospels, these were the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. These words are also important because what the followers of Jesus are to do was explained in those verses. What we're supposed to do between his first coming and when he comes back to return. And these words are also important because they apply without exception. I should have underlined that without exception to all Christians at all times, in all places and in all situations. Now, four times in the Great Commission, Jesus uses the word all or some form of the word all. For example, in verse 18, all authority has been given to me. Verse 19, go and make disciples of what? All nations. In verse 20, he said, teaching them what? All things, and lo, I will be with you always. That's pretty clear, isn't it? All authority, all nations, all things, Always. See, these words of Jesus have been kind of an enduring and universal validity for you and for me. I gotta tell you, when I get a chance to talk about the Great Commission, I get really excited. So, so I'm gonna apologize in advance if I just get a little bit excited today, because I just love this kind of stuff. See, we need to pay special attention to what Jesus says to us here. And in these verses, I find three really great things that motivate me. One of them is a great claim. One of them is a great commission, and the other one is a great promise. So let's take a look at each of those. The great claim, first of all, is in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, it's possible that you might have a translation of the Bible where instead of all authority, it says all power. That's not bad, but it's not nearly as strong as the word in the original Greek language. In the Greek, that word is exousia. It means delegated authority. It's not just the ability to do something, it's the right to do something. And the biblical narrative is saying that Jesus not only has all power, he actually has all authority to exercise that power both in heaven and on earth. It's been given to him, and again you might ask yourself, well, who gave it to him? Now, I don't have time to talk about this today, but go back and read Daniel chapter 7 and see if you can figure it out. The answer is in there. Simply put, God gave Jesus all authority because of his conquering of death. And now he has authority not only in heaven, he has all authority in earth, which means he has all power over Satan and all of his little minions and over all of the forces of darkness. Now, when we saw Jesus on earth, we know he had authority. In fact, the very final parts of our, the Great Commission, he hands it on to us. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and now I am going to give this authority to you. Now, I take great comfort in this because, you know, we live in kind of a, a squirrely world these days. I will be so happy when the elections are over. I don't get any more silly phone calls or have to watch any goofy uh, commercials on television. But sometimes it seems like this whole world has gone wacky. Uh, But you know, at the end of the day, I know something. And that as I know who is in control of this entire situation, is Jesus. And why is that? It's because he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And that's something for all of us to think about when these days are found to be rather uncertain or frightening. Jesus has that kind of authority that he gave to his church on earth. And when we read this passage, though, sometimes we actually skip verse 18. We want to get right to verse 19, the marching orders of the church. But verse 19 makes no sense at all without first understanding verse 18. See, it's because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords that he can send his followers to all the nations of this earth. It's because he has all authority on heaven and earth, that he can actually send you and me. And it's because he has all authority on heaven and earth that we can actually dare to go out and do what he's asked us to do. See, that, my friends, is the great claim that Jesus makes. And this claim is worth considering, particularly in these days that seem to be relatively uncertain. All authority has been given to him. When the election is all over, guess what? God will still be on the throne. Jesus will still have all authority. Well, here's the second great claim. It's a great commission. This is the part you're all very familiar with. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, as a pastor and a teacher for about 50 years, I confess to you that I, when I come to this text, I'm often perplexed To know exactly what to say about these words to you. But let me tell you a few things that I see when I read these words. This is kind of like a giant to-do list. And there are kind of four to-dos in this little passage. The first one is what we are to do. It says, therefore, and anytime you ever see the word therefore, you ought to ask yourself, "What what is there for? You really got to back up and read what happened ahead of that time. But therefore, and go make disciples of all nations. Now, I know you didn't come today expecting a Greek lesson, but I'm going to give you one nonetheless. And you're going to have to take my word that I'm right on this. But in the original Greek, there is only one verb in this sentence. And that's important because you could read this verse and you might say, well, it seems to me like there are two or three or maybe even four verbs in this sentence, depending on your translation. You might say, well, go looks like a verb, uh, make disciples looks like a verb, baptizing looks like a verb, and maybe even teaching looks like a verb. Uh, and it might look as if he's saying, I want you people to do four things. I want you to go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them. But what we are to do is all wrapped up really in one verb in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written. It's translated in two words in English. Make disciples. It's that simple. Make disciples. The other three words, and I know you didn't expect an English lesson today either. The other three are known as participles. You remember that from your English classes? And you're all looking like at me like, what's he talking about? Well, let me explain to you. What is translated as go is really going. He said, as you are going, as you're going through life. Baptizing is a participle. Teaching is a participle. They're all dependent on the action of that verb, make disciples. What Jesus was kind of saying when he talked to his disciples at the end of the time was this gentleman, you know, after I'm gone, I want you to do one thing and one thing above everything else. As you are going, I want you to do what? Make disciples. Now, we've got to stop a minute and say, what is is a disciple? What does that mean? Well, a disciple is a learner. It's somebody who is following another person who hopefully is teaching them all the truths from the biblical narrative, which is another word for the Bible. Our job is to go out and help change somebody from being a, a bystander to into an active follower. And friends, this is really what the church is to be all about. We are to be making disciples disciples turning people who have no concept whatsoever of who Jesus is into fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the theme for this current, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but your theme is this, one heart growing the family of faith. But I want to tell you, it's way beyond just the family of faith known as Faith Lutheran Church in Branson. It is building the family of faith here and all over this world. So we're not only invited to to join Jesus, we are, we are encouraged. In fact, it's even more than encouraged. We are commanded not only to join Jesus, but to go out and find our friends and our neighbors and other people in the community and people all around this world and bring them along with us. And I got, I got bad news for some of you, good news for some of us. There's no retirement in this process. In fact, get rid of that silly word, retirement. It's not biblical. I hate it when people say, man, are you retired yet? No. Every once in a while, I reposition myself and refresh myself. That's what you need to do, too, as you are building that family of faith here and throughout this world. See, we often make a mistake uh, as a church if we think that the the world is somehow going to come to us. But as far as I know, we don't live in the field of dreams anymore, where if you build it, they will come. We can't convert this world or this community if all we are is a bunch of pious pew ploppers sitting here with smiles on our face and are nice to everybody who walks in and expect people to actually show up. It just doesn't happen very much anymore. See, it's easy to think because we have a beautiful worship center or because we've got a great uh, life center or we've got a great staff that we can just kind of show up and that's enough. But friends, just being here is not enough. We are called by Jesus to leave this place and go into the world and make disciples of all nations. That's the central task of the Christian church. That's what we are called to do. Well, the second to do is where to do it. Where are we supposed to be doing this? Therefore, go, or as you are going, make disciples of what? All nations. Now, all nations is a pretty good translation, but that really kind of gives us an idea of geography. When the Greek word here for nations is ethne, It's where we get our English word ethnic. Various people groups. Jesus means that we are to be going out uh, to all people groups of this world, all the languages of this world, all the racial groups of this world. In fact, I draw two conclusions to this. One, when Jesus says, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, he's saying that you ought to be a world-class religion. That's what he says to this church. You ought to be world-class in terms of your influence. The second thing, it means that Jesus from the very beginning uh, was meant by God to be the savior of the world, not just to Americans, although some people seem to believe that he only came to save us, It's not only to save the Jews of his day, it wasn't to save just the Gentiles, and guess what? Not just simply to save Missouri Synod Lutherans, Jesus is the Savior of the entire world. That means his church, his holy Christian church, is to be a representative to this entire world. That means blacks and whites, that means rich and poor, that means young and old, that means upper class, it means middle class, it means lower class, it means people from every last ethnic group that you can even possibly find. Now the third to-do is, how are you going to do this? Well, he says, as you are going to make disciples, there are some things that you should do. You should be going, you should be baptizing, you should be teaching. Or if you want to think about it with the letter I's, you know, going is invitation Baptizing is initiation, and teaching is indoctrination. We need to continually be teaching the biblical narrative to people. We are to share the gospel. We we are to bring them into the church. We are to baptize them and teach them everything that we have been taught from God's word. Now, I started out my life as a teacher and a basketball coach for 18 years, and there's a lot of teaching involved in that. And I always thought about that as kind of like a germ or a seed. It's the beginning of the entire educational process. And I want you to think about that in terms of your church, because this the word teaching ought to be in our Sunday school. It needs to be in our adult Bible studies. It needs to be in our small group Bible studies. And in this teaching, in every educational ministry, that's what we are to be doing. And Jesus says, do that as you go. One of the things that some people know I do is coffee shop evangelism. I carry witnessing tools with me. And when I sit at the coffee shop, sometimes I actually take a piece of paper, fold it, and have it right. I will pray for you and put it on my table. Do that at Starbucks some morning. Do that at Hollister Coffee Company some morning and see what happens. Some people will walk by and look at you like, boy, are you nuts. Some people will look at it and they'll kind of go, oh, that's nice. Some people will actually stop and say, really? To which I go, really? And then there are some who will sit down, and I can pray for them. I'll tell you that more often than not, the people who stop and ask me to pray for them are not church attenders. And then I take the opportunity to ask them about church, and ask them what they would like about church and what they don't like about church, and I hate to say it this way, but sometimes I say, well, if this is really how you feel about it, maybe you should be going there. At least it's a place to start to come to know who Jesus really is. Now, please understand something. I mean, we are to make disciples of all nations, but uh, it's never the purpose of the church just to get members. It's never been the purpose of the church to produce uh, intellectualized Christians. It's never really been the purpose of the church to produce passive pew pew sitters and casual onlookers. The purpose of the church is that we actually leave this place and share the good news of Jesus Christ and make disciples of people uh, who are themselves to go and make disciples of other people. See, it's the will of Jesus we take his message to the ends of the earth. Here's the fourth thing. What's the result supposed to be? Well, it's supposed to be spiritual multiplication. Now, if I ask you whether your church is healthy or not, many of you would say, well, it depends on the size of the church. How many members do we have? How many communicants do we have? How many baptized do we have? Uh, sometimes people say well, they'll talk about we measure it by our music or at our architecture. But the real mark of the church in Jesus' eyes is that it's 100% committed to the Great Commission. And that's a good standard for evaluating all of our ministries. Now I work as a church consultant sometimes, and uh, some people don't really like it when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm an equal opportunity offender. I offend just about everybody, it seems. But I walk in sometimes and I say to people, look, if your ministries are not great commission oriented, you have a choice. You either get rid of those ministries or you adjust them or change them to bring them back into line with what Jesus talked about 2,000 years ago. Well, let me wrap up with a great promise. The great promise is in verse 20. Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Or those of you who are King James people, I am with you always. I want you to take a look at your, your hand for a moment. Just hold your hand up. And I want you just as you touch those five fingers to say this. I am with you always. Yeah, I find that very comforting. Every once in a while when I'm worried about things, I have to sit back and I actually will hold up my hand and I just kind of go... It's a reminder. I am with you always. Now, I think almost all of us here today have a great reason to remember this. Some people here or this morning are facing financial setbacks, maybe even loss of jobs. Uh, Some of us face relationship problems. Some of us face uh, a sickness that is either beginning or we're coming out of it. Uh, My next door neighbor, who is the same age as I am, passed away suddenly two days ago. We now face that time of mourning with people. Some of us are scared to death of what tomorrow holds. But what does Jesus say? I am with you always. So as we go... And as we make disciples, as we follow Jesus, we have this promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you all the time to the end of time, no matter what situation you find yourself in. Now, one last thing. If this is the great commission of Jesus, I want to suggest to you that it ought to be our commission as well. And if this is what was uppermost in Jesus' mind at the end of his life, then this ought to be uppermost in our minds as well. And if this is what, what Jesus was causing his heart to beat at the end of his ministry, then this is what our heart ought to be beating all the time, the Great Commission. See, the bottom line is this. We are called to be Great Commission Christ followers and to build a Great Commission church. We're called to be disciples who make disciples. At the beginning of my ministry, I happened to attend a conference at Willow Creek Church. Bill Hybels said something that really resonated with me. He said, you know, if lost people matter to God, they darn well better matter to you. Boy, that struck me in the heart. And so being a great commission kind of a person has been a part of my life from that time forward. Now, if Jesus were to come back today... What do you think he might say to us? What do you think he'd say to Gina? What do you think he'd say to me? Well, I think he'd say, hey, as you're going through life, make disciples. I mean, this is what was on Jesus' heart at the end of his life. And I think that's what he would tell us today. Now, if this is so important, what are we going to do about it? I mean, what's your great part in that which is, was most important to Jesus' heart? Now, I don't want anybody to come up to me at the door this morning and say, well, I don't want to go be no missionary in Nigeria. I'm not saying that to you at all. I'm just saying as you go about your daily lives, wherever it takes you, to share Jesus, to find opportunities, to not only tell people about your church, but actually take a next step forward and say, what time can I pick you up tomorrow and bring you to church? See, lesser things need to be swept out of our lives to follow this one great purpose. See, that which was the top priority for Jesus really needs to be the top priority for you and me. We need to become a disciple-making church and a disciple-making people. And we must become a great commission place where Christ followers follow the teaching of God's word and then try to bring as many people as we can into that kingdom as well. We must have, as that banner says, one heart as we build the family of faith. Not only Faith Lutheran Branson, Missouri, but the family of faith worldwide. As we close, I want to invite you to join with me in praying this prayer. O oh Lord, we have heard these words so often that we hardly hear them at all. Forgive us for taking so lightly what you take so seriously. You have told us what is first on your heart. When you said, go and make disciples, you were talking to us, not to someone else. Now may we do something about it and not leave the task to others. Amen. Amen.